This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. scriptures we're going to look at here and I think we'll just look at all three of them right straight in a row and then go back <clears throat> and talk a little bit first one's from John chapter 12 and we we talked some from from uh, John 12 previously a couple three weeks ago and hung around there for a minute and we're still hanging around there a little bit from a little bit of a different angle but It says, um, there were some Greeks in town who had come up to worship at the feast and they approached Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Can you help us? Philip went and told Andrew and Andrew and Philip together told Jesus and Jesus answered, time's up. The time has come for the son of man to be glorified. So... The Greeks in town, they'd come to worship at the feast and they want to see Jesus and this is the answer they get, I don't have time to talk to you. Well, that's kind of curious, right? That Jesus doesn't have time to talk to these people, but we're going to talk about why here in a minute. And now we go to John chapter 11, backing up a chapter there. And here we're dealing with a different set of people. It says, from that day on, they plotted to kill him. So Jesus no longer went out in public among the Jews. So they are the Jews, Jewish leaders, religious people. They plotted to kill him. So Jesus no longer went out in public among them. He withdrew into the country bordering the desert to a town called Ephraim, and secluded himself there with his disciples. So, so far, you've had the Greeks who came trying to get an audience with him, and he said, I ain't got time for you. And now you have the Jewish leaders who are plotting to kill him. They have heard from him. They have gotten an audience with him on occasion and gotten some answers that did not satisfy them, so they formulate plans to eliminate him. And so what does he do? He says, do what you got to do. I don't have time for you right now. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, this is a verse that, two two verses that um, we really love, that are very popular, that are very well known to Christian people. And we love to grab these and embrace them because these words carry a lot of hope and a lot of promise and a lot of comfort. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's Jesus giving a promise, giving some very, very um, wise and encouraging counsel to the people who are listening to him. So I know that maybe you're wondering, well, what in the world do these three 
things, these three passages, these three scenarios have to do with each other. First, you have Greeks who want to see him. He says, I don't have time for you. Then he has Jews who've heard from him, didn't like what they heard, so they plot to kill him. So he says, do what you got to do. I don't have time for you. And then you have his promise that says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, the answer to the question is that they have everything to do with each other. These things are very, very uh, closely interrelated. And we're going to figure out how and why here for the next few minutes. And this is, um, these are words, this is counsel, this is a lesson that really needs to lock in. So I've been in full-time vocational Christian service. What that means is I've done it for a living. I've been in ministry for a living since I was 30. So that's 28 years. And for 28 years, I've seen some things that seem to never go away. They're always there. In church, in the ministry, in the kingdom, among God's people, I'm not talking about the world out there. I'm not talking about Greeks. I'm talking about us. I've seen some things that are constant. They never go away. Some of those things are good, but some of them are a little bit discouraging for those of us who are in leadership positions in ministry and in this work. <clears throat> One of those is, is the constancy of Christian people who seem to always be looking and reaching somewhere other than to the Lord for whatever it is that they need. So they, they know who God is. They've, they've heard about it. They're in church. They listen to the teaching. They listen to the preaching. A lot of them read the Bible. But anytime there's a question, anytime or a lot of times when there's a, a problem, when something needs to be done, when some, some need needs to be met, when they're looking for an answer, when they're struggling, when they're battling, the first thing they do is start looking somewhere other than to the Lord trying to figure out how to get what they need. Christian people. I'm guilty. I've been guilty a lot. I have Jesus standing over here saying, come to me when you are weary, when you are burdened, when you are down, when you are sick, when you are depressed, when you are broken, when there are challenges, when there are difficulties, when there are disappointments, come to me, I will give you rest. Take me, put my yoke on you, because my burden is easy, my load is light, and there's power in us understanding the principle of putting on His yoke, and the principle is the same principle we hammer over and over and over and over, and it is the principle of obedience. We've gotten so smart and so big and so powerful 
and so full of ourselves that we have bypassed the simple principle of putting on His yoke. Because when we put it on, everything from that point on simply amounts to obedience. So a yoke is something that you would put on an animal, an ox, a bull, a horse, a mule. And see, the way I should view myself, and, and we are valuable, and we are important in the kingdom, and we do have worth, but only because He made us, He created us, He instilled goodness inside of us. But in terms of the way we function in life and in the kingdom, it is all about viewing ourselves as an individual who is willing to allow Him to put His yoke on us and then for Him to do all the driving and all the guiding and give all the instructions. And we simply do what He says. There's power, there's freedom, there's peace, there's victory in that. And while we're trying to big ourselves up and we're declaring how awesome and how important and how powerful and how strong and how smart we are, we're robbing ourselves of freedom and victory and peace and liberty because all of those very, very valuable assets to us come through simple obedience. Put his yoke on. Just put his yoke on. So back to the Greeks in John chapter 12. The Greeks had come to that part of the world hundreds of years earlier before Jesus arrived, and they had come to not only take over militarily and to rule, but they had come to establish their lifestyle. In other words, they were <clears throat> evangelizing people to the Greek way of living. Well, what is the Greek way of living? Eugene Peterson wrote an essay on Herod. Here's what he said about the Greeks. About 300 years before Herod died and Jesus was born, the Greeks, led by Alexander the Great, emerged as the New World Empire by conquering the Persians. The Persians had treated the Jews benevolently, letting them worship in their own ways. But the Greeks were not content with conquering militarily. They were crusaders for a way of life marked by... Now listen, see if this reminds you of anybody. See if this reminds you of any society, any culture. They were crusaders for a way of life marked by intelligence, and beauty, and pleasure. This is the Greek way of life. Somebody just had the thought, well, no, that's the American way of life. Well, <laughs> it was the Greek way of life before it was the American way of life. Power was not enough for them. Money was not enough for them. They were missionaries for something we might designate as humanism. They wanted to convert men and women to a life in which the mind and body were celebrated and developed to their full potential. We send out missionaries to save men and women from their sins through Jesus Christ. 
they sent out missionaries to civilize men and women through learning and art and drama and athletics. They were aggressive, persistent, passionate, persuasive, and highly successful. This is what the Greeks came to bring. That's 300 years before Jesus was born. That's 300 years before Herod died, which happened right around the same time that Jesus was born. But the Greeks are still hanging around. The Greeks are still there as we see in John chapter 12 because they show up. Some of them show up. And they go to Philip and they say, we want to talk to your leader. We want to have a conversation with this man Jesus. And Philip goes to Andrew and says, hey, these Greeks are wanting to talk to Jesus. What do you think? And Andrew says, well, let's go tell him. So they go to Jesus. They say, there's a group of Greeks that want to have a conversation with you. And you have to know that what goes through Jesus' mind is this. These people are missionaries for selfism. These people are evangelists for humanism. These people preach a lifestyle that is centered around self-gratification, self-motivation. What can I get from me? How can I be more beautiful? How can I be smarter? How can I be stronger? How can I be more successful? How can I earn more money? How can I be more athletic? We have the Olympics today because of how much focus the Greeks put on sports, athletics, competition. And I'm all, I love sports. I love, you know, I'm not preaching against that. But what I, what I would suggest is that we have become a society that worships the God of sports. I know people who just about their entire lives are wrapped up in a sports team. I go to basketball tournaments sometimes, and, and you will see absolute fanaticism. The word fan is short for fanatic. People whose offices and homes and vehicles are decorated according to their sports team. People, that's all they talk about. They go to lunch, that's what they talk about. And they spend piles of money and all kinds of time. And believe me, hey, NFL games don't have to be played on Sundays. They could play them on another day. How many, how many people get up and get dressed up in their athletic apparel to go to ball games on Sundays? How many people's lives are wrapped up ruled and governed by sports. And it becomes a God to some people. And it replaces the one true God. And sports is not the only thing. There are all kinds of other things that can do that to us, that can draw us in. All sorts of other messages besides the true gospel message that are being preached and are luring people into lifestyles that take their focus off of the one true God and put them sort of still over here a little bit, but, but also we definitely have a focus over here on this God or these gods. 
Y'all are like, well, I didn't get up, come out here to get all that poured on top of me, but sometimes it happens. The Greeks show up and Jesus automatically knows. This is about selfism. This is about humanism. This is about meism. I don't have time for you. I'm not even going to try to convert you. I'm on a kingdom mission. I can't get my vision polluted. I can't get my hearing polluted with that. I'm here to do my father's business. My father's business is all about his kingdom. The one true God. You shall have no other gods before me. I am. I am one. I don't have time for anything else. Then John chapter 11 that we read. Here's a whole different set of people. So you have this group of Jews called the Pharisees. Do you know why the Pharisees existed? The Pharisees existed because of the Greeks. Because when the Greeks came in and started to have an impact, there was a group of Jews who said, we're not buying into that. How many of you are familiar any at all with Greek mythology? How many gods does Greek mythology include? More than we can name here in the next hour or two. Multiple gods, mono, or a polytheism, a god for everything you can name. And so, you have a group of Jews that rose up against that very forcefully and said, we're not going that direction. We're going to protect and preserve what we believe, which is there is one true God. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's good. It's a good thing they did that. Except that they did what people always do. And that is they took the powerful principle of one true God and they started to build their own religious box around it. And so they took out any spiritual liberties. They took out the freedom that is supposed to be born out of a personal relationship with God. They took out peace that passes understanding as we get to know the Lord and move deeper into His heart. And they started to make rules to make sure that everybody understood that we're going to stay focused on this one true God. And Jesus showed up and said, hey, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. I am the fulfillment of the law. But I have also come to prepare a place in the heart of the Father where you can live, where there is peace and freedom. And the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with it. Why? Because it did not fit inside their religious box that they had built. So, from that day on, they plotted to kill him. So you got those from outside the church 
who want to present all their philosophies and all their ideas and all their opinions and all their theories. And then you've got those inside the church who say we're too blind and deaf and hard-hearted because we've built this religious structure that has really shut out the one true God that we talk about all the time. So the, the warfare is outside coming in. The warfare is already inside and it's coming against us from the inside. I have to tell you today that the spirit of Antichrist sits on every church pew and in every church chair, in every church there is every week. He ain't hanging around out here in, in, in bars and in drug trap houses and, and, and just in, in really vile and evil places like that. He comes to church every week. Can't get locked in to, to believing that we're being attacked and opposed from any one particular spot. It's coming from a lot of spots. And so the, the Jews, these are the Pharisees, they plot to kill him. So what does he say? He says, you do what you have to do. I don't have time to fool with you. I'm on the Father's mission. I put the Father's yoke on. I'm walking in obedience and I will, will fulfill his mission. And then he comes along and says in Matthew chapter 11, as we read a few minutes ago, that we should come to him, all of us who are weary and burdened, and he'll give us rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that just sound so much more genuine and fulfilling and full of grace and full of mercy and full of truth and full of spiritual fulfillment than, than the other two scenarios where you've got people out here preaching, you are your own God and, and you can turn to all these other gods for various different things in your life, but you need to be afraid of certain ones or they're going to crush you and kill you. And, and you, you, you're smart and you're strong and you're athletic and you, you're good and, and you're creative and just do your your own thing and you got this other group saying no no hold on they're wrong uh, we worship only the one true God but if you don't dress a certain way if you don't speak a certain way if you don't go to a certain church if you don't if you don't exercise these daily rituals this list of rituals if you don't pray a certain way if you don't give a certain way then God doesn't care anything about you. And one of those is just as bad as the other. Although one's in the church, it's just as bad as the one that's not in the church. And then you have Jesus saying, just come on in here and sit down with me. <laughs> just relax. I know you got junk going on in your life. I know things are hard. I know you're feeling really, really weary right now. I know that life can really be a struggle. Let's just be fair and honest. Let's, let's just throw it out there. We might as well. There's no need trying to fake it till we make it. Just put it out there. But come to me with it. Come on in and sit with me. Share it with me. Pour it out to me. Look, I'm, I, I'll put this yoke on you. But, it, but that's not a negative thing. That's not an unpleasant thing. It's going to fit right because it's coming from me. 
The yoke is just about you indicating your obedience to let me do the driving. Haven't you tried to do your own driving for long enough and haven't you figured out by now that, that it's just not working for you? That you're just not getting what you're striving for? That the fulfillment has not yet come with all of your working and looking and doing? Just come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. <clears throat> if we embrace this truth, we may get up tomorrow morning and still have the same financial problems looking at us. There's a chance of that. There's a good chance of that. But we'll do so with a whole lot of rest in our spirits. We get up in the morning, we might still be sick. There's a chance. But we'll do so with a whole lot of peace. A whole lot of peace that he still knows what he's doing. We get up tomorrow morning, we may still feel sad, depressed. But we will be able to find rest in the middle of it. We'll, we'll find, we may still have to work really hard, but we will find our rest in the middle of hard work. <laughs> so last week, um, we went on vacation. Hopefully everybody gets to do a little vacation of some sort sometime. But I was thinking about something, and, and we were in a place that there's really just no way to describe it unless you ever go there. <clears throat> so we're on a, on a horse ranch in the Rocky Mountains, staying in cabins, and, and you come out in the mornings and you've got these mountain range, this, these peaks out there in front of you, and the snow's still up there on the top. And Long's Peak is 17,000 or so feet. I mean, these are serious mountains. It's not like what we got here, ant hills. Um, and just the, the scenery is just unbelievable. It's just gorgeous. You know, and you look down, you got 100 horses in the, in the pen, and it's just phenomenal. And you're with a bunch of other great people, you know, just kingdom-minded people, people who love God, people who worship, people who serve God. And the food was just phenomenal, you know. I mean, it's just outrageous how they feed you and everything like that. And the environment is just, it's warm and it's, it's uh, fulfilling and it's comfortable and it's peaceful. J.C. said one of her favorite things about being there was just how quiet everything was, you know. But it occurred to me, on about Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, you got to go home. And let me tell you what happens to me when I go on vacation and we get into the last two or three days. Without me even really even consciously considering it, I start to get tight in my neck and shoulders. Just There's just this internal anticipation that you have to go back. You got to go back to work next week. You're going to have to deal with uh, the same stuff that was there when you left. You're going to have to cut grass. You're going to have to shovel up horse manure. 
you're going to have to deal with problems and questions and try to help other people. You know, it's still there. You're going back to it. And so I realized that my answer in life to my need for peace and fulfillment doesn't lie in my opportunity to go on vacation. Because vacation is just temporary. Oh, it's nice. Believe me, I'm going again since I can. I'm not giving it up. But that's not my source for real deep contentment that's constant. It's not my source for real genuine peace that is just always there. If it was, I would be very disappointed when I have to come back because then that peace that existed there with the quiet and the scenery and the people I was around and the food and all that is not there anymore. And so the peace that came with it goes away. If I don't have a source for peace for, from somewhere else when I'm getting up and going to work, if I don't have a source for freedom and fulfillment from somewhere else when I'm dealing with people's problems and answering the questions and trying to help them figure things out, if I don't have a source for peace and strength and comfort and fulfillment from somewhere else when I'm having to pay bills and cut grass and work in the hot sun, then I, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be confused. I have to have another source. We left yesterday morning driving from out of the mountains down into Denver. And so the kids wanted to go by Columbine High School, which is just outside of Denver. And most of you remember Columbine was the first big school shooting 20 years ago in April, it was 1999. It wasn't the first big school shooting, but it was the first big one that was on national news and just impacted everybody because you saw, you know, the kids coming out of the building with their hands up and all that stuff. So Tracy and I had ridden by there one time before, but they wanted to go by, so we went by. And they have a monument that they've built. <clears throat> and it's up on a grassy hillside behind the school. So we tried to go in one way, but they were having a, a festival there, which I'll get to in a minute. And the traffic was all over the place, and they wouldn't let us go in. So we drove back around and through this park and another way and, and walked up to the monument. And so up on this grassy hillside with the school building, about maybe four or 500 yards down that way, they've built this, um, you know, it's like a patio, uh, circular, and they've got... The, fountains that are running all the time and they've got the beautiful landscaping around it and then they've got the bronze um, you know plaque things on built into the wall that has messages from surviving students it has messages from parents it has messages from teachers that has quotes from people who spoke at the memorial dedication all that kind of stuff and then it has uh, 13 monuments that talks about the 13 or the 12 students and one teacher who were killed <clears throat> and it's and it's it's beautiful and it's appropriate and it's good and I was standing there considering and thinking about the number of people that come to visit that and and how often maybe parents who lost a child come to just hang out there and just to find find some contentment some peace there and then across the way, this festival was going on that I mentioned. 
which was a unicorn festival. Now, you want to talk about a picture of irony. So right here, you have this beautiful, quiet, peaceful monument built to students and a teacher that were killed in a mass school shooting. And over here, you've got a unicorn party going on. And the little kids were cute, dressed up in their little unicorn things, you know, with their outfits and all that. But it's the adults that really... Adults with, like, headgear on with a unicorn horn and their hair colored pink and blue and green and yellow. And some in full unicorn garb. Some with their kids, but some didn't have kids with them. them. Those were the ones that disturbed me the most. And they're all going in. And I, I don't know what you do in a unicorn festival once you get inside the gates. Anybody have an idea? Because honestly, I've never been to one. Lock horns. Um, they did have a big blow-up thing for the kids and all, but I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who starts a unicorn festival. I don't know who, how you get interested in it. I don't know what. It's, it's like a cult. It's like a, a group of unicorn people. And it was a big bunch of folks. I mean, a lot of people. Well, what's the point of all that? I spent the week in the mountains on a ranch. I visited a a monument to a school shooting. I peeked over and saw a little bit of the Unicorn Festival. And then I came back home, and my grass has grown up, you know, because of being gone for a week. And And there's stuff to do there. And I know I have to go back to work in the morning. I'm coming here to share with you today and and all that. And I'm thinking, where where is it? Which one of these spots, or is it a combination of these spots, where I can really draw the strength that I'm going to need to move on with my life? Which one of these places? Is there one that's better than the other in terms of me being able to find permanent and constant peace? Is, Is there one of these spots, whether it's, the mountains of Colorado, whether it's the Unicorn Festival, whether it's the Columbine Memorial, whether it's this meeting with you guys this morning, whether it's City of Refuge tomorrow, whether it's anywhere. What is it? Where is it that I should be able to go to find what I need? Peace, freedom, victory, strength, vision, revelation, encouragement. Where is it? Which of those spots should I expect is going to be able to do that for me? The answer is none. None of them. As a matter of fact, the Wind River Ranch in Estes Park, Colorado, is no more valuable to me in that sense than the Unicorn Festival in Denver. Because if I run to any of those places expecting to find revelation from God that produces peace, that gives me rest right in the middle of my toil, I'm going to be disappointed. I'll go to the beach in October with my family, and I love it. I'll go to Jamaica in two weeks with a missionary team, and I love it but I won't find that there. 
I'll find some temporary little tidbits that I can grab and benefit from for sure, and I'm grateful for it. I might even could go to the Unicorn Festival and find something. But it's going to go away. It's going to go away. It's temporary. It's superficial to a certain extent. We love to we love to escape from reality because oftentimes we're not finding the rest and the peace we need in reality. And Jesus is saying right in the middle of your reality. That's why he opens it up by saying, "Come to me all you who are weary and burdened." Don't don't just come Dancing and skipping and praising me when you got plenty of money and you're in good health and everything's going well. Your children are behaving and your grass is manicured. Come to me when you're weary and burdened. And I'm going to put my yoke on you and you'll walk in obedience to my words and you will find your permanent rest. Peace. Freedom. So, Whatever's going on with you, whatever's going on with you, there's a name you can call, and his name is Jesus. Whatever is creating your burden, your weariness, there is someone you can call on. There is someone you can go to. There is someone you can sit with. And he will give you perfect peace. He describes it as peace that passes understanding. <laughs> and, and that's very true. That's very true. So when the work is hard, when the sun is hot, when the bones and the body are aching, when the money's short, when the kids are bad, when things are falling apart, we can try running off to the mountains if we want to. We can try escaping reality if we want to. We can pack up and spend the day at a unicorn festival. That's what we want to do. And it's good to go places and have fun. I don't ever intend to attend a unicorn festival, but there are places we can go, things that we can do that bring us satisfaction for a little bit and are fun, and, and that's okay. But when we're talking about just a genuine, internal, constant peace and rest, freedom and fulfillment. There's only one place you're going to get that. You're not going to get it from the Greek way. You're not going to get it from the Pharisee way. You're not going to get it by going on vacation. You're not going to get it by hanging out in memorials. You're only going to get it when you sit with him and call his name and say, hey, that yoke you mentioned, put it on me. Put it on me. I'm ready. Father, uh, I thank you that Jesus taught us something really, really powerful, life-changing when he taught us about coming to him and allowing him to establish his yoke on our shoulders. We're guilty sometimes of just taking on building our own yokes and putting them on or trusting somebody else's yoke and it's heavy and it's burdensome and it just doesn't do the job. 
Thank you that he taught us that he has a yoke that's easy and a burden that's light. And he'll put that on us and it'll replace ours that's very burdensome. And he'll give us freedom and rest and peace. So I pray over your people that this week, when the difficult things are right on us and when the challenges are obvious right in front of us, we just call on your name, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And we know his peace comes. We know his freedom is there. And we know we'll be fulfilled. And we bless you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.